0: so glad that you're here this morning and a part of Outward Church. Uh, just this last week, I, I kind of let you guys know that um, we've, we we need to make some adjustments in, in space and things like that. And so um, what we've been asking our volunteers, people who are showing up early and things like that, is to park over on Division Street, which is the next street over here, uh, so that we can uh, free up more space out here. Many of you did that today. I want to thank you so much uh, for being a part of that. And secondly, we're asking for... Uh, Uh, people to sign up uh, to help with kids uh, back here um, uh, once a month for the next three months and then we'll release you and and you don't need to feel obligated to continue to do that but it would be a huge help to us like if you're not already serving um, and and uh, you feel like you could pass a background check and um, whatnot which I know yeah never mind Um, Um, but uh, we, uh, we want to ask you to, to be a part of that. That would be super helpful. And then lastly with that is, is just like regular giving. Like if you're a part of Outward Church and, and you're here, we just want to encourage you to give regularly. It's, it helps us move forward uh, with what God has called us to and you to because you're a part of... Um, outward church and the vision that, uh, that we have for our city that God has given us and we want to participate with him in that. And so it's just incredibly helpful um, when you do give. So thank you so much for your giving. I, I've told you guys in the last, uh, I think it was the last couple of weeks, um, just that it, it's just been great to see what God has been doing and we were able to make some major progress this, uh, this last year. And as a result, um, many great things have been taking place. And so that's a very cool thing. And so uh, as you, you might notice, we've made some adjustments for space in here, added some more pews back there. That's a really good thing to have happen. And so I'm, I'm just pumped that today is Super Bowl Sunday and you decided to come to church. And so that's, uh, that's a, a very cool thing. I had to look up who was actually playing in the Super Bowl. Um, that's how connected I am with sports. But um, I I guess I I will support the Patriots this year because one of our gals here, uh, her brother is the kicker for the Patriots, or one of the kickers for the Patriots, and so uh, we'll root for him. And so um, Ryan Allen is his name, and so that's that's pretty cool. Um, What's that? (laughs) Boo? You're booing me right now? (laughs) I've never even been booed before. Jesus did say persecution would come. I just didn't know it'd come from you. All right. Not come from me. All right, Judas. All right. Oh, that was good. That was good. Listen, uh, this weekend is our marriage conference, uh, the mingling of souls conference. It is a, it's a you know a simulcast. We'll be streaming it live here. Um, if you're not married, I want to invite you to it. Um, uh, if you're looking at get, getting married in, at some point in the future, which odds are um, that you will get married at some point. And so we want to invite you to that. It's $15 per person. There will be uh, Adam's ribs here. Uh, uh, not ribs, actually, but I think we're doing a, a brisket sandwiches, or something like that from Adam's. It's amazing. I realize it's kind of more of a man's meal, um, but uh, there's a reason for that. And so uh, <laughs> uh, so we're glad, we're, we, we wanna invite you to that. But girls, you can eat some lettuce or a carrot or something like that and, um, and that'll be good. We'll have some beer and wine as well and, and uh, we just want it to be a relaxing environment. We're going to uh, engage with this, um, this conference uh, from Matt Chandler and his wife uh, Lauren. Matt Chandler is the head of the network that we're a part of called Acts 29. Um, the guy's super engaging more engaging than me, so you might be sorry you even showed up today, uh, but uh, he, he's fantastic, and so uh, that'll be great, um, and then, uh, so that, that's Friday night, and um, Saturday uh, morning, and I, th- I think Friday night, we're starting at 6, something like that, you can sign up online, go to albertchurch.com forward slash events uh, to see that, so Friday 6 to 10 p.m., and then Saturday 8 to 12, you want to get child care, um, and, and try to get a babysitter at your house if that's, if that's your gig because 10 p.m. is going to be late. So, And then uh, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Saturday. Listen, you can turn with me to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and we'll be uh, picking up there. Um, if you have been with us for any amount of time you will know that we have been working through the book of 1 Corinthians and I just want to give you a little bit of context and uh, just kind of tell you about what's what's been happening in the in the book of First Corinthians, and we believe it's it's super important um, for all of us, and especially during this time, because it really speaks to some some elements of what are taking place in our culture. Uh, I don't shy away from talking about politics because um, I, I think it's incredibly important in uh, today's world. Uh, let me just explain something real quick, in, in, Ages past, um, what's been true about the church is, is that the church has largely been, the evangelical church has largely been uh, Republican in nature, conservative, fighting for conservative causes. And so there, there was the advent of things like the religious right. There was, um, and what came along with that was uh, some serious judgmentalism. What came along with that were some things that were, that were negative. I think that there were also some positive things that came along with that. But uh, there, was, there was definitely some negative things because of this. Because it, put, it shed light on the Bible. Uh, it shed light on the scriptures. It shed, shed light on other Christians who don't necessarily act that way or do those things. It, it, it shed a negative light, really. It was something that was uh, that just wasn't helpful sometimes. So I, I apologize if you're somebody who's like, "Man, I was really into Jerry Falwell, and that was fantastic. Those were the good old days." And I just I just want to tell you I'm, that's great. I'm glad I'm glad you feel that way. But part of the reason why we talk about politics here is that we want to reframe the picture. And today is not going to be all about politics, but I but I do want to help you understand something, and that is that. When you act like you know something, when you act like you're smarter, when you act like your political position, whether you're conservative or whether you're liberal, what's true about you and what's true about me, because I do it as well, is that we're arrogant. We're arrogant and we're prideful. The first thing that a Christian has to understand is that the the feelings that I have towards the other side putting them down, looking at them, saying, I I really hate the way that they do this, and I hate the things that they're going after. And I, I just want to tell you that I'm I'm opinionated, all right? I follow politics pretty closely. I read articles all the time. I watch the news. I'm, I'm a junkie in some respects, and, and I have personal opinions. And so I, what I want to tell you is that I don't think this passage is going to be, you're not going to look at it and say, oh, wow, that's really about politics. You're not going to say that at all. But... What I I can tell you is this, is that it is convicting for me and that these are things that I have to look at in my life. I, as a pastor, as somebody who has political leanings and feelings about various issues in our culture, these are things that I have to look at. And what we have to understand as a church is that we shoot ourselves in the foot Every time we have an argument, every time we have a disagreement, every time you go on Facebook and I go on Facebook, and I did it just recently, um, but every time we go on Facebook and we say something that is negative about the other side or something along those lines, what takes place is this, is that it sheds light on Jesus Christ, on his church, and on this group of people here that it should not be be this way. People look at it and they say, "Man, there they go again." That's that's who they are. And so Paul's speaking to a church that is a lot like ours. Paul is speaking to a group of people that are really divided. They're really divided, and they're divided about the leaders that they're following. It says early on in the book it says, "I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow I'm you know I'm I'm the Jesus uh, people. And Paul's saying, like, is, is, is Christ divided? Like, it, are there really supposed to be all these camps within the church? Like, the church is supposed to be a group of people that is an alternate community that's bringing grace and mercy and healing uh, through the gospel to our culture, and yet what's happening on the inside is virtually the same thing that's happening on the outside, I don't know if you followed the campaign at all, but there were moments during Donald Trump's rallies where people were getting clocked, sucker punched. And now that the election is over, now the other side is clocking (laughs) the Donald Trump supporters, literally. It's just an example of like this side's punching this side, and now this side is punching this side. What's happening in our culture? What's happening among the people around us? What's happening to us? Some of you are so upset about what's been going on with immigration. And we spoke to that last week, and I hope I was clear about immigration, but I also talked about abortion. That we support life. And so we're supporting the life of the immigrant, and we're supporting the life of the unborn baby. And hopefully what happens is this, is that we're upsetting some liberals and we're also upsetting some conservatives. And what we don't get, what we don't understand is that when you become a Christian, when you become somebody who knows Jesus, when you become somebody who's walking with Jesus, like there is a marked difference about who you are. And that when our culture looks at you and when our culture looks at me and when they see what Outward Church has been doing, when they see what's taking place, we want them to be able to say, surely God is in this place. Surely God is in these people because they have loved me. Even when I was in deep disagreement with them even when I was perhaps even punching them. So what's happening in our culture in large ways when we see the videos is actually happening in our hearts. You and I are burning limos out on the street. You and I are people just like them. That's a reflection of who we are in a lot of ways, in an unsanctified way, I should say. So what does it take for us to become people who are marked by Jesus in a way that causes us to be radically different? What are those ways? And I just want to walk through this passage with you. I just want to expose what's going on here in uh, 1 Corinthians 8. It says this, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That's the worst verse in the whole Bible right there, all right? All right? it's, It's devastating. Devastating. I am into meat. I uh, I like to uh, to smoke meat. I like everything about me. I like it raw. I like it you know. I like it any way I can get it. I enjoy beef, and so I hate that verse. Um, What's Paul talking about here? Some of us, and I think if if I'm really honest, when I think about this passage, I just go, "Holy cow! How are we going to bring this into today?" Because we don't really understand what's happening here. We don't really understand because we don't really deal with idols or idol temples very much. But let me just tell you what's happening. In that day and age, there was a, uh, a culture that was full of idolatry, literal idolatry. And so they would take a block of wood or they would take a piece of metal or they would take uh, pretty much anything and they would set it up and they'd say, this is our God And they would serve this thing and they would worship this thing and they would uh, build a temple around this thing. And so what would take place is that these people from this culture would take and they would make sacrifices to this idol, to this so-called God. So they'd make a sacrifice to it. And what would happen is this, is that there would be, a, uh, there would be some that would go to the priest. There, uh, obviously, there'd be some that would be sacrificed or burnt up on their altar. And then there would be some that would go to the worshiper. And anything that was left over would actually go to the meat market. And so what you had in the meat market is that you had like lots of various meat that all came from the temple. That all came from the temple, and so there was all this meat because people are making sacrifices. And so basically, the temple turned into a butcher shop. And so they're butchering this meat, and they're taking it in there. And so that's, that's what was taking place there. And then on top of that, these temples became gathering places within that culture. It would be like any church today. Where you have, you know, we have birthday parties and various things here at, you know, and weddings and, and so forth. And it was the same thing, except some of that meat uh, from sacrifices to uh, these idols would be used in these celebrations. And so in some ways, the temple actually became like a restaurant of sorts. And so they would be eating this meat and so forth there in this place. But what happened was this, is that there was two groups of people. There's the progressives, the liberals, and then there's the conservatives. There's the progressives and there's the conservatives. Now the progressives, they are very like, let's, let's do whatever, whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. Because there really is no God in this place. These aren't real gods. Let's just do whatever we want here. But the people who were conservatives were very much like, hey man, that was, that was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's main concern is ultimately that people who had come out of this lifestyle of idolatry would see this and they would say, man, my brother is eating something that came from an idol, and so uh, maybe I should do that. And then he goes on to say, and we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes, and then their, their conscience is wounded And so what the real problem here is ultimately that Paul is dealing with two groups of people, but he's primarily going to deal with the person who says, I have knowledge, the progressive person. He's going to deal with them first. And really chapters 8 through 11 are all dealing with this same subject. So we'll have time to get around to conservatives here. Uh, But this is what he says. He says, now concerning food offered to idols... We know, and that word know is used six times in this first section. We know that all of us possess knowledge. And what he's saying there is he's saying that I, I know that this is one of your sayings. I know that you say this often, that all of us possess knowledge. We we know things, we understand things. He says, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, that word puffs up there is the word that they use for arrogance in the first part of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And so he says, those of you who say that you have knowledge and that you have what it takes and that you know more than everyone else, you need to understand something first. And that is that you're arrogant. And are we talking to literal political progressives today? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this, is that these people who said, I have knowledge that other people don't have. I have what it takes. I, I, who cares about this stuff? I, I can do whatever I want. I can do it whenever I want. Paul's saying, like, your knowledge is leading you to an arrogance that is palpable. An arrogance that is just rippling throughout Our society, it's tearing apart our church. It's tearing things apart. Now, stop for a second and apply this to today. Christians in culture today come in claiming a supernatural knowledge, which, by the way, I believe is true, and yet they come in a way that says that they're arrogant, that we're prideful that we do whatever we want whenever we want how do we do this well some of us come into culture and we say you know gun rights are the thing and we say I'm gonna use my gun however I want to whenever I want to put a sticker on the back of your car of an AK or a a AR-15 that says come and get it right come and take my guns right What's happening there? It's an arrogance that comes from predominantly conservative people who believe, like, these progressives, like, I have knowledge that you don't, and so therefore, ha, I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, in front of you, however I want to do it. I'll put the bumper sticker on the back of my car, and I'll say, forget you. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. Gun rights is just one example of that. It's just one example. And what Paul says here is he says, uh, this knowledge, it puffs up, but love builds up. Like, if, if you think that you have some type of knowledge... Think again. In fact, that's what the next next verse says here. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And that's a kind translation there. If anyone imagines that he knows something, think again, you're a moron. That's, that's kind of what it's saying there. Think again. You don't really know what you're talking about. If you imagine that you know something, if you're coming into culture and you're saying, like, I have knowledge that you don't have, or I have a way of doing life that is better than all y'alls, and I'm, I'm going to wave that flag, and I'm going to support that political party, do you know what comes? It's arrogance. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you just come off like a punk. And how many of us are taken that way in our culture? Like if we're going to be an alternate community within our society that somehow develops relationships with people that that would rather just go ahead and clock us, we can't come in with both guns blazing, saying, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want to do it, and the rest of y'all can just suck it up. Because that's what these people are saying. That's what these people are saying. And do you know what? I know I was picking on gun rights there for a second. Some of you are really squirming, all right? If you know me, you know how I feel about this stuff, but I just want to make sure that, that we're confronting the idols of Christian culture here. We're touting something over and above Scripture, we're touting something over and above scripture. What are we touting? We are touting the idea that we are Americans first and Christians at least second. We're touting that idea. Why? Because there's no love in the the way that we're acting towards people sometimes. There's There's no affection for somebody else. In fact, there's this great quote from John Stuart Mill who who is said to be like the founder of liberal democracy in our world. America is a liberal democracy. Uh, Liberal democracies are in many ways good things because it oppresses people less, or so I believe anyway. But uh, uh, John Stuart Mill said this, not the Daily Show guy, John Stuart Mill said this. He said, the only freedom which deserves the name is that of pursuing our own good in our own way so long as we do not attempt to deprive others of theirs or impede their efforts to attain it. And it's this idea that I can do, I should be able to go headlong and do whatever I want, however I want to do it. These people were saying I should be able to eat meat however I want to do it because the rest of those people, those, those conservative people who are offended by this, they're stupid. And I'm just going to do whatever I want. And you better not impede me. And so what's happening is this, is that it's, it creates more vitriol. It creates more hate. It creates more and more and more until you have a divided church. And guess what? We're seeing it in our culture today. You have a divided nation. You have things that are unraveling left and right. Why are they unraveling? Because of this idea of tolerance. Not that tolerance goes too far and saying, okay, you need to tolerate. I, I, I believe that tolerance does not go far enough. Because Christian tolerance is of another kind. It's of another brand. Christian tolerance goes even further than just saying, I'm just going to merely tolerate you. I'm going to tolerate your lifestyle. No, Christian tolerance says this. Not only am I going to tolerate you, but I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you into my life and and into my culture. And even though there there are doctrines And there are beliefs and there are things that I hold dear in regards to my freedom as I see it. I invite you into my life, I converse with you, and I love you. I love my brother, because tolerance says this. Tolerance says, you know, as long as you agree with me on my specific thing and you don't tell me anything that I don't want to hear, we can be friends. But Christian, grace-filled tolerance says this. You can believe exactly how you want to believe. You can act how you want to act. And yet I love you regardless. I love you. Paul says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God... He is known by God. What's he saying right there? There's an expectation here that you'd have in his writing. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't really know as he ought to know. And then he says, if anyone loves God, the expectation is, then he really has knowledge. But what Paul says is he says something else. He says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What? what? I mean, if you read this in your devotional, if you read this uh, at some point, you just kind of go, that, "Like that, that doesn't, that's not working for me, Paul. I don't know what you're saying. What, what is Paul saying there? What's he saying about this? He's saying, if anyone loves God, then he's known by God. He's speaking directly to the heart of the arrogant person. He's speaking directly to their heart, and he's saying this. He's saying, You believe that you have knowledge and that you're smarter than everyone else, and that you have the best political viewpoints, and that you have this and that you have that. But that knowledge is only leading you to arrogance, you're inflated. You are are acting like something that you really are not. But the person who actually has love for God, the person who can claim that they really are a Christian, the person who really has relationship with God, is somebody who God knows. Why is that important? Because of this. Because if you have love for God, what it means is that you didn't cause that. You didn't make that happen. You didn't allow that to take place. You didn't instigate that in your life. You didn't make it real for you. What Paul is saying here is he is saying that your love for God does not come from your knowledge. That would push you further away from God. Your love for God comes from God choosing to know you. So at the very base level of your life, a Christian is somebody who comes into culture and says this, says, says, I am not a Christian. I am not somebody who's walking with God because I'm just a better person, and I don't act this way, and I don't do these things. I have relationship with God because God chose in his mercy to know me. So what does that bring to our culture? I don't come with a sense of arrogance with the people that I vehemently disagree with. And they're real disagreements. I do not come with an air of arrogance. At least I'm not supposed to. What I come with is this, Zach. Is my love for God doesn't even come from me. It comes from God himself in choosing to know me. I mean, there are times when I, when I think to myself, God, like, why do I love you? Like, there's something unexplainable about my desire to be after God, to, to be driving for him, to be reaching for him. Like, I can't explain it. Like, I, I got out of high school, and, and really, all I wanted to do was kind of party, but at the same time, I was trying to figure out this God thing, and then I, 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 I go, and I, uh, I go on this mission trip, and I, I felt like I'd given God everything, and I was like, man, God, this is awesome, and I had this crazy experience with God, and then what took place after that is that I came home, and my family, like, dissolved. It crumbled. A five-year relationship that I had dissolved. It was gone. And and I'm looking around and I'm just going, God, where are you in the midst of all this? Where are you in the midst of what I see as devastation and suffering and and all of this stuff? Like, where are you? And I told God in in those moments, I said, God, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want because you're not speaking to me in the way that I want you to speak to me. And so I went and I did whatever I wanted for a while, but there was something in my life that would not let me keep going in that direction. I was sitting sitting in a a bar, and and I was sitting there with a group of people that I was like, these people are nice people, but they don't love me. They don't care about me. I want to be back with God's people because I feel like, that's where I need to be. And so I've been striving after God and I've been reaching for him. Sometimes I've failed drastically, but somehow I still go, God, I want to be with you. And the truth about me is this, is that I cannot explain to you why. I can't explain it. Except for this. I don't have a relationship with God because I... because just because I I love him. I love God because he knows me. Because he knows me. So what's Paul saying to you and to me? You cannot go into your culture. You cannot go into the church and act pridefully and arrogantly as though you have it all together without doing some real soul-searching without doing some real soul-searching this is how how did I how did I get into this why am I here what's my relationship with God like am I an American first and a Christian second am I just an American Christian Am I just somebody who just picked up morality along the way? Because that's not what God wants from you. Your relationship with God does not depend on your ability to be moral. You cannot be moral enough for God to be kind to you. You cannot be good enough in order to create relationship with God. You cannot stop sinning enough in order for God to accept you. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you in order to have relationship with God. See, our ability to not just have tolerance, but have grace-filled tolerance and acceptance of other people is rooted in Jesus, grace-filled, not just tolerance, not just acceptance, but literal sacrificial death for you so that he could have relationship with you. So let me ask you something. What would it take for you to have sacrificial relationship with the people in your life where you say, regardless of the fact that I vehemently believe that you're wrong, I'm not only going to tolerate you, but I'm going to love you and I'm going to invite you into relationship. Let me just tell you something. When you don't do that, you're basically saying, I refuse to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me tell you how this works. In your marriage, some of you are just getting married, you just got married, you, you're just in the first little while of marriage, and what's happening is this, is that you're running into <coughs> impasses. And you're running into impasses because you vehemently believe that you are right. I'm sorry I'm speaking right in front of you two. This is not, I just married them this summer, so. This is very strategic, I'm so glad you showed up today. Um, But what's, what's happening is this What happens in marriage is that marriages come to this impasse They come to an impasse where it's just like I cannot have relationship with you anymore Because I believe that you're dead wrong And the other person is saying I cannot have relationship with you Because I believe that you are dead wrong But the gospel says something else The gospel says this, like if you are somebody who has a gospel-oriented life, what's going to happen is this, is that I not only have a a friendship with you, but I, I willingly accept you into my life as a friend. We may have disagreements, but I love you in spite of those things because Jesus loves me in spite of all of my problems. When Jesus went to the cross, he saw Matt. He saw me, and he saw all the ways that I would reject him. He saw all the things that I would do, and yet knowing that Matt was still gonna be a moron, and knowing that Matt was just not going to be somebody who was loving sometimes, and knowing that Matt was sometimes gonna turn people away from him, Jesus went to the cross and he said, regardless of the fact that Matt is going to do all those things, it doesn't matter what Matt does, I'm dying for him. And Jesus says the same thing about you. And so what this means is this. Your acceptance of the people in your life, your acceptance of our culture, your acceptance of these folks... It does not necessarily mean that you don't disagree. It means that in spite of our disagreement, I love you with the kind of love that Jesus loves me with. It's a gospel love that says this, I'm willing to give up my rights, I'm willing to give up my freedoms so that you can live. I'm willing to curtail what I see as my right and my I should be able to do this. How dare you hold me back, wife? How dare you hold me back, husband? No, I'm curtailing my rights, my freedoms. I'm giving those things up intentionally. That's the only way that real tolerance works. That's the only way that I, I would say that our country will even continue on because this is getting bad. It's not just in your marriages, but it's in your community groups too. A lot of us are in community groups. I said recently there, there's about 77% of us are in community groups here at the church. Community groups are places to have gospel-centered relationship. But what happens in our community groups sometimes is this: is that people go to them and they say, you know, I don't really like those people. I don't like their political views. I don't like. I mean, they're they're weird homeschoolers, and I just I don't want I don't want my kids around them. <laughs> sorry, Ryan. Ryan's the worship leader here, so, and he, he homeschools his kids. And I'm sorry to you if you're also a homeschooler. So, um, totally derailed myself. But uh, you go to a community group and you say, I just don't really like these people. Well, maybe those people don't really like you, right? Now, did you ever think about that? Maybe they just decided to take this viewpoint and just say, you know, I don't really want to be around that guy, and I know this will irritate him. So, I'm just going to do this, right? There's this arrogance that comes... I don't really connect with those people. I don't really like them. And I I get it. I mean, I'm a pretty opinionated guy. But does that bring unity into our church? Does our our, our willingness to sacrifice for, for other people within our community... And to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not only going to invite them in, but I'm going to love them with everything that's going on in their life. That means that if, if this flaming liberal comes in with all of these views and everything that's, that's going on, and they're in full support of that platform, it means this, that I love them wholeheartedly. And that I don't, I, I don't bring an AR-15 to group and say, hey, look at my new gun, right? Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It means that I'm not flaunting those things, but what I'm flaunting is I'm flaunting the gospel. And so the gospel is just oozing out of me. It's oozing into the relationship that I have, and I'm saying to them, and I'm saying to these people, like, we may have political differences. And by the way, I think you can be a liberal and a Christian. (gasps) It's, It's possible. But... What does it look like for us as a church to love these people and to sit there and have great conversation, to understand each other? To come to a place where the gospel colors our lives, our relationships, our marriages, your workplace. Because my hope is this it somehow in Salem, Oregon, Outward Church, as part of Jesus Church in this city, and there's a lot of churches that are a part of that, that are great people and who believe the same way, I'm hoping that we make a dent in what's going on. Going on that somehow Salem looks different because Outward Church and other churches took this rallying cry and said, you know what, I am gonna be somebody who brings unity into my church and who brings unity into our culture. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I uh, I think there's probably a lot of us here today that that may not even necessarily feel like we relate because we're kind of quiet about our political viewpoints and so we're just like, yeah, I don't really know how this applies to me, but Lord, I pray that you would, in the power of your spirit, show us where we're wrong, show us where we have this sense of arrogance, this sense of pride that we bring to our culture, where we're at, some, at points willing to wound the conscience of other people, where we're willing to give up relationship for the sake of our viewpoints. Lord Jesus, may we we be people who are all about communicating your gospel. Lord, may the only thing that we know be this, that you know us, and that you are the driving force behind our relationship with you. God, may we be able to look at our lives and just say, I don't know what keeps me going after God. Somehow he causes me to just grasp onto him and to see his gospel and to love his gospel. I don't know what it is, but somehow I just, I can't shake it. God, I pray that for us. God, make us passionate people. Make us people who are tired of being just Christians in name only and somehow American Christians and people who have these uh, political viewpoints which aren't necessarily wrong, but they're just insidious sometimes. And they, they bring about arguments and fights. God, may we bring healing to our culture. Lord, may we find things about people that we disagree with, that we love and share those things with them. Man, I, I just... I I realize that you come from the other end of the political spectrum from me. But I love you, man. I love you. I love what's what's going on in your life. I I love the friendship that we have. God, can we be friends with our culture without giving up your doctrines, without giving those things up, just loving people in spite of the fact that they disagree with us, Lord? May this be true of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.